Hey everyone, welcome to the Two Quarterbacks, One Team Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Josh Berger, joined as always with Josh Lake, and today we have our very own special guest, Chris Chung. We're going to be talking about the Scott Fishbowl as well as some rankings on some very, very low-end QB3 options. So, Chris, thank you for coming on board. It's great to have you tonight. Oh, thank you for having me back, guys. It, it was fun the first time around, so I'm excited for uh, tonight. Yeah, yeah, we had a good time last time, and this time we're actually all in uh, some drafts together, and I'd like to kind of talk a little, little bit, Chris, about some of the drafts. It's the Scott Fishbowl, which some people have been following on Twitter and looking at some of the draft strategies kind of play out in this league. It's a PPR league and Superflex, and so, Chris, could you just talk a little bit about this league, and then we'll dive into your draft strategy going in. Absolutely. Uh, I think this was a wonderful um, idea by Scott Fish. This is actually my third year playing in this um, fishbowl, and he has uh, introduced a lot of new mechanics such as superflex or uh, points per carry. And it being it just being part of this draft, this massive draft of I don't even remember how many people he invited. It's um, it feels like a whole community coming together to celebrate this fantasy season together. Yeah, and it's it's 360 teams. It's incredible. I've never seen something like it where you have, uh, what is that, 30 different divisions of 12 teams each. It's an incredible league. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that intrigued me about it was I'd never actually done a rush uh, attempts points, and we do a quarter point per every rush attempt. That kind of threw my rankings completely out the window. and It's been fun to see it. I feel like it's been a, a fresh take, at least for me in my first year into it. Chris, when I yeah, whenever you're looking at uh, a series of points that are a little different than kind of standard scoring, you know, whole point PPR and then rush attempts, everything like that, how much do you tend to adjust just your standard scoring rankings by that? Is that a huge adjustment, or do you tend to just kind of bump things a little bit here or there? Uh, I guess it, for me it's always trying to put things into context. So if I have to calculate what it means to add that point, how significant would it change the week-to-week scoring and how how it would uh, affect my um, roster building, and of course how it would affect others, how they perceive um, whether these added bonuses really uh, would make them draft certain positions earlier or um, change their uh, approach, general approach to drafting. So it's a lot of fun, and for me, it's definitely. Um, great to know that people don't draft according to ADP because now they either overvalue uh, this added bonus or ignore it altogether. Right. Uh, and it, it seems like one of the things you did, and we'll talk a little bit about your team now, it seems like you went really heavy wide receiver. Is that something you generally do I, in PPR? Um, I think this is uh, a spillover from uh, my dynasty mindset as well as um, trying not to um, play into this uh, rushing points for rushing, um, I did. I did. I would have to admit that I maybe ignored uh, running backs too much in this draft. If I look back hindsight, I would probably uh, reel back on some of the wide receivers. But uh, early on, it presented to me this um, all these wide receivers where people were trying to get, grab their quarterbacks, trying to grab their running backs, and I keep seeing these uh, wide receivers uh, being at a value, so I took a lot of them. 
Right. Yeah, and it looks like you took Andrew Luck in the very first round at the seventh spot, and then from there you ended up going with, I believe it was Des Bryant from that point, and then even over to DeAndre Hopkins right after that. Very, very heavy on the wide receiver, but I mean, I got to say, I, I love all the team except for these uh, running backs, and it seems like you have some high-end value with uh, Stevon Ridley. Is he a guy that you tend to target a lot in these leagues? Um, Stephon Ridley was um, my last pick of the of this previous round. Um, in general, no, I would not have taken Stephon Ridley. But in this okay. format where I am really uh, desperate for running backs, um, I could definitely see Stephon Ridley carving himself a, a role in the Jets' um, offense if he ever gets healthy. Right. Yeah, and one thing that I think is interesting is how many flex positions there are in this league that you have fairly minimal requirements as far as starting, um, but then you can flex running backs, receivers, tight ends. You really have a lot of, of options, so it's interesting to see teams like yours where you drafted a lot of wide receivers and went light on running back, but there's plenty of good teams as well that went the opposite, and so that's one of the fun twists on the league is that you really have a lot more flexibility in your team composition than you do in some more typical leagues. You're absolutely right about that. And that uh, this draft did remind me of last year where I went the same approach, uh, going re- uh, wide receiver heavy, and tried to mine like late-round value in Joyke Bell and I believe uh, Andre Williams. Again, I had him last year, and it got me through most of the season fairly well. So what is your what is your approach like in a super flex league? This is I think we've said it, but you can start two quarterbacks or you could put in a wide receiver or a running back or a tight end in that spot. Um, do you typically treat it just the same as you would if it required you to start two quarterbacks or do you take um, any sort of a different approach because it is super flex rather than two QB? There is definitely um, a difference uh, between a uh, 2QB, and Superflex. For me, I may wait a little bit longer before I take my second quarterback unless, you know, value. It's all. It always comes back to value, and with that approach, I would, um, I under, I would un- have that understanding, and I guess you and Josh also know playing in a lot of the 2QB or Superflex league, we know where the teardrops happen, so we could understand that some people may reach for quarterbacks and it pushes up a lot of talent. And so uh, definitely in a super flex league, I would uh, wait a little bit longer than I would in a, in, in a 2QB league. Yeah, that makes sense. I find for me too, if I'm going to take a third quarterback, it tends to be much, much later as well, just kind of mirroring that drop back effect because I'm not nearly as worried about bye weeks if I'm going to have a terrible quarterback anyway, just plugging in a decent wide receiver, someone like a Brian Hartline that's just going to get the possessions. Would you agree with that? Yes, yeah. uh, totally. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was I was saying that the, the idea of three quarterbacks is something that I've been struggling with. Chris's draft uh, is a little further along than either yours or mine, Arberger. Um, so he's had... He has 16 players on his roster, whereas you and I have 8 and 11. Um, And so Chris has three quarterbacks, 
and uh, you and I each have two. And I've I've been debating, and I guess I'm curious, Chris, what your thoughts are on taking a third quarterback in Superflex when it's this deep a league. I've been going back and forth on whether I will even draft a third one because I have so many starting positions still to fill. So what was your thought process on going ahead and taking Blake Bortles later on as a third quarterback? Um, this one was felt more like a impulse kind of buy. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I would definitely recommend just waiting on that third quarterback. Uh, in this instance, I would, uh, seeing that the Blake Bortles was still there at the 11th, I was kind of expecting him to go uh, maybe a round or two earlier ago. But um, seeing him there, I would, I switched over to just thinking and treating my team as a full uh, two-quarterback league. So I have someone to sub in right when I, one of my quarterback has a bye week. So that was the idea. Um, and I didn't necessarily feel like I passed up on uh, too many people that I would have drafted ahead of Blake Bortles at that time. So it's always, for me, it's always dependent on the flow of the draft. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. For me, I found, too, that I was leaning a bit more in a super flex league towards my QB2 or QB3 having high upside. So, for example, my second quarterback I just took in the ninth round, and I have Robert Griffin the third, which is a guy mm-hmm. that I know, like, you have a lot of major concerns about him, even down to his job security. For me, he's a guy that, because of his running ability, I do have some optimism, at least about him getting me the points while he remains healthy, which hopefully, as a Redskins fan for you, Lake, that, that's longer than uh, the past couple seasons. Let me ask you this, yeah. Lake, for you. Like, do you find that uh, your draft was a little bit different? I mean, it seems like all of us kind of had our own unique strategies in this uh, Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, so I took almost the, the inverse of Chris's approach, um, not because I thought or think that his approach is wrong, but because what I've seen is that several of these divisions, mine included, have gone pretty wide receiver heavy. Yes. Um, because you have the option of, uh, when you could start up to seven wide receivers a week, it makes sense that, and PPR, and it's a 360-team league where you really have to change your strategy and think outside the box if you want to win. So a lot of people have gone receiver, and that makes sense. But I decided to go very heavy at running back, um, and I had four in my first six picks. And that was partially to kind of veer from the approach a lot of drafters were taking. But then also, um, when you look at the history of leagues, this league and also any other league where you get partial points per carry, so here you get a quarter of a point for every running back carry, or any carry, I guess quarterbacks get them as well. But what what I saw is that running backs, the primary lead backs, the guys that get tons of carries, were actually some of the highest per-game scores in this format. And there's only a few of them. There's only uh, 10, 12 that really are guaranteed to get 15 touches a game. Right. And so I went with Lacey, Foster, and Lamar Miller pretty early, thinking I'll get those guys that are guaranteed. I can find wide receivers that will get targets later, but I'm not going to find running backs that have a shot at 15 carries a game. I think that's a very sound strategy, and it makes a lot of sense um, to go that way. Um, I chose to do 
a different approach uh, and not say not to say who's right or wrong it always um, depends on the flow if in my division everyone went running back often and early and that's why you see uh, Andrew Luck falling to me at 107 when in most cases you see Rogers and Andrew Luck go much earlier therefore uh, I, I would punt on the heavy carriers and just try to load up on as much value and talent and that's why I ended up with more receivers um, and that, that is kind of the approach I take. If I can't get the top end, then I would um, try to gather as many of the, um, the lower end ones and take a risk at perhaps someone will emerge. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, it'll be fun to see, particularly as all of these leagues go out, uh, what ends up working the best. But uh, it, it's fun to see all the different strategies and uh, particularly like seeing some very, very different ones in each of the divisions as well. Let's go ahead and transition over. We're actually starting a new part on the Two Quarterbacks, One Team podcast. We're going to be talking about some kind of quarterback battles, particularly kind of ranking them and doing almost like a rap battle back and forth as to which quarterbacks are better. So tonight, Chris, you are taking, if I'm not mistaken, you're taking Josh McCown, and you're going to argue for why we should draft him earlier than Nick Foles. And Josh Lake, you're going to be defending uh, Nick Foles, I think a little begrudgingly, if I understand correctly. (laughs) I think on both and sides. So, I don't think either Chris or I loves these folks. Yeah, uh, I mean, when they, when they have no one to throw to, it's hard to love either of them. So these are both guys, just like you said, like that are very, very low, but they do both appear to have really solid starting jobs. And so there's not a lot of uh, quarterback battle going on on the team itself. They're just guys that really don't seem like they're going to be worth more than very low-end QB3 range. So, Chris, let me just go ahead and start with you. Defend as best as you can Josh McCown and where we should draft him. Great. Um, and just as I was looking at it, I did have Josh McCown's name misspelled as Luke McCown even in my article. That is embarrassing. But in any case, <laughs> uh, you're putting a good context here. Uh, these are quarterbacks that um, in a 2QB league where you're desperate and you need a bi filler or an emergency break glass. So coming from that standpoint, Josh McCown has um, didn't have didn't put up too much Gaudi stats, but I believe he is safer than Nick Foles in the sense that he is now placed in a system that is formally uh, popularized by Kyle Shanahan, and the new OC has already promised to take that um, to take that system and continue to implement it. So what I did uh, goes back through the quarterbacks that. Uh, played in this system and it seems to me that on a per game basis you can get away with pretty um, safe numbers if you uh, play with any of the quarterbacks and in in Kyle Shanahan's past he has Robert Griffin, Kirk Cousins, Matt Schaub, all different types of style of quarterback and all of them were able to put up uh, a good amount of uh, per game numbers which I think the system itself will give you that um, that uh, that's that confidence of playing uh, Josh McCown in a in instances where you need to plug him in over the Nick Foles, which I have no confidence in the Rams offense. So let me let me ask you a question, Chris. Um, with Kyle Shanahan's offense, 
um, last season. It it struggled last season. I mean, the Browns were by no means a great offense last season. No. Um, but then he he has moved on. He's the Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator this year. Have you seen much to say whether their offense is changing in Cleveland or whether they're kind of keeping what he instituted? Because that's something I don't have much of a read on. I know the person is gone, but I don't know whether they're changing systems, whether they're going to stick to the same ideas, and I, I just haven't seen. Yeah, your concern is very valid. It's all word of we have to rely on the words of the coaches right now. The OC, John Filippo, I think that's how his name is pronounced, he doesn't really have a strong background to give me um, a good read on whether he can successfully implement Kyle Shanahan's system. But if I take the coaches' words for it, then it's going to be a run-heavy offense, which takes a lot of the pressure away from the quarterback needing to uh, do too much. And just going off of Brian Hoyer's game-by-game stats of last year, while the numbers are not by no means anywhere close to a QB2 that you would want, even if I take reduce it maybe uh, down 25%, um, and this is very um, a liberal use of re- uh, reduction, it still kind of sense that uh, a quarterback who can put up uh, maybe 12 to 15 points per week. So I'm putting confidence in the system itself more so than the, the quarterback. <laughs> hmm. mm-hmm. And I, I think that's fair. So I'll, I'll counter with Nick Foles, um, who is in a similar situation, that he's moving teams, that we've seen him have some up and down times, uh, but they've all been with a different team. Uh, one thing there is to like is similar in St. Louis that um, Jeff Fisher is going to emphasize the run, one would think. He has Trey Mason on the team, and now at some point in the season they're going to have Todd Gurley. It remains to be seen whether he'll start on the, the PUP list or whether he's going to be ready um, in the first couple of weeks. But you have to think that the Rams are going to emphasize the run and are going to not require Nick Foles to be a world beater, that they're going to put him in positions to win and keep down his, uh, or I guess I would say increase his efficiency. And we've seen that Nick Foles can be efficient if things break right. Um, In 2013, obviously, everything broke right, and he (laughs) wasn't intercepted at all. Uh, Everything was going for touchdowns. Everything, just the stars were aligned, and Nick Foles clearly can be efficient. I think St. Louis is going to present a different sort of efficiency. I don't think it's going to be as high-powered as Philadelphia was. I don't, I don't expect he matches his 2013 numbers. But I think there's reason to be optimistic that he can be efficient if the system isn't asking him to do everything, which there was a little too much of last season at times, which got him in some trouble. I completely agree with that last statement you just said, that the, the system or... The offense asked a lot more of Nick Foles. I've never had really much um, confidence in Nick Foles, even as he was a rookie. And now, seeing that he lo- uh, when he lost Bill Lazor, his offensive coordinator, a regression is expected. That number of uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio regression was expected. But I what I saw on the game was very concerning because... Um, in 2013, he relied on a lot of lucky tip balls 
tip drills. I don't know if you remember those. The tip to Deshaun Jackson yeah. or broken plays to Riley Cooper. In 2014, we saw him doing the exact same things. He's making the same exact decisions, but this time it tipped the other way. It tipped into an interception. It tipped into uh, an incompletion or uh, he led his um, receivers into the wrong coverage. And that is just telling me that he's not taking steps forward. And now you're going to an offense which lacked creativity. It lacked um, uh, really a, a wide receiver to count on. And not saying that Cleveland has any wide receiver by any means, but I guess they're in the same boat as that they have to rely on some low-end wide receiver twos or threes to carry Nick Foles. And I, I just don't see it with Nick Foles to elevate that offense. Right. I mean, the similarities between these two quarterbacks really is kind of shocking. I mean, both taken in third round. Both of them had phenomenal years in 2013. I mean, 13 touchdowns to one interception for McCown, no interceptions for Foles, and had a tied an NFL record for most touchdowns in a game. And now they, I, I'm just kind of wondering, really, who are they going to throw to? I mean, it seems very threadbare, as you mentioned, Chris. Do you, mm-hmm. for you, Chris, do you see that anyone potentially emerging as kind of the go-to guy for McCown on the Browns? Um, I am still very much a fan of Tyler Gabriel and Andrew Hawkins because um, Tyler Gabriel surprised me. I mean, right, his the expectations were low, but he was able to just make uh, a lot of bigger plays than what I would expect from a player of his uh, measurables. Also, Andrew Hawkins has been known as a very um, crisp route runner, which would help uh, McCown kind of have those throws. And honestly, I have a lot more confidence in the backfield because Duke Johnson is a very solid pass catcher. Um, Terrence West is, uh, has, a, has good hands as well. Um, the only concerning thing that didn't, um, that I thought was uh, Crowell. He he was a better pass catcher in college, but he was rated one of the worst in the last year in the NFL. But if he can get his head together, um, you just see more targets for McCown to throw to. Okay, now it's interesting that you're kind of jumping straight to Hawkins and Gabriel, who at least at the moment are considered to be kind of behind Brian Hartline and Dwayne Bowe. Is that more mm-hmm. a knock against Hartline and Bowe, or... Uh just kind of seeing that maybe four guys will be kind of spreading the ball out a fair bit. Uh, I've watched enough Brian Hartline to kind of know that he he regressed terribly last year. Um, okay. The year before that, he was Ryan Tannehill's go-to guy, and last year he disappeared for much of the game, and he's not separating from coverage. I don't know if that's injury-related or if that's, rolling more coverage towards him. And the same way, what happened with Dwayne Bowe is very strange, and I don't know if he can regain form right now. Um, He may still be called on as the primary receiver because, gosh, uh, he has has shown it before. He has that body type. So if Hardline and Bowe take a step forward, that's even more reason to like McCown uh, as his weapons are increasing. That's a good point. Well, like, let's hear a little bit about 
the Rams and their receivers because, I mean, this is kind of a big issue, at least in my opinion, as both of these guys are making the moves. Both of them really need to adjust to a whole new system than where they've been before. What do you see as far as how the weapons around for Foles end up affecting his value? Right, and it's, like you said, these are two quarterbacks with a remarkable number of similarities, uh, this season particularly, in addition to some of the other things you mentioned, but uh, one of those being that there's a whole lot of question marks around their wide receivers, and what is the wide receiver core going to look like? Who are they going to be throwing to? Those sorts of questions. Um, for the Browns, it's more that they brought in some new guys. Um, for the Rams, they're dealing with a lot of injury issues um, with Stedman Bailey and Brian Quick coming back, um, and then some guys that have underperformed throughout their career, and the question is, can they take a step up? Tavon Austin, Kenny Britt. Um, Kenny Britt, the whole fantasy community has known about for a long time. He was a first-round pick. He has phenomenal athletic talent, um, all the metrics you would want, and has just never really been able to put it together for a wide receiver one type season. But if you look last year, even with just dreadful quarterback play in St. Louis, um, people rotating in and out, Austin Davis, Sean Hill, um, because Bradford couldn't stay healthy yet again, um, Britt was able to put up over 700 yards, which is going back to his first couple of seasons. Um, he by no means was a great wide receiver. Um, he barely was able to catch half of his targets, but I think the athletic talent is still there, and he has the potential to be a wide receiver one. Um, but I think the more interesting talent is going to be Brian Quick, and the question is whether he's going to come back healthy from the, the shoulder issues or not. And I'm I'm so far from a medical professional that I can't even opine on it, but um, some people that are doctors have written and said that the sort of procedure he's coming back from, there's no guarantee that he comes back in the same fashion that he was. But um, Brian Quick would be a very interesting target that he's built in that wide receiver one mold. He looked strong for portions of last year. So I think that the Rams have a lot of physical talent, a lot of football talent, but just guys that have not put it together. Um, like you had said off air, Burger, Jared Cook may be their their number one target if things break wrong again. Uh, and he's fine, but he's not Gronkowski, he's not Jimmy Graham, he's not Jason Kelsey. Uh, you don't want Jared Cook, your tight end, to be your number one target. You want to have some options at wide receiver. And so I think there's reason for optimism that if the wide receivers can get their act together, they have the talent to be a better wide receiver group. Uh, than the Browns wide receivers. It's just a question of whether they can do it on the field. That's a great point. Chris, in a second, I'll let you kind of counter, Lake, as far as anything you want to say against the Rams themselves. One comment I'd like to make, uh, Lake, on the Rams is that it's really interesting to see just how this team really has been with each other for a while and, like you said, hasn't put it together. In my opinion, so much will end up riding on Tavon Austin as to whether or not there is enough of a receiving core uh, outside of the running backs to really make anything of it. But Chris, anything you'd like to comment? Yeah, I think um, since my uh, introduction to the fantasy world, which was back in 2005, perhaps I haven't seen much about uh, Fisher to be excited about what the coaching staff he puts together as far as uh, for the offense wise. Yes, he has produced great um, talent in uh, Chris Johnson, but Passing-wise, it's always been 
quarterbacks who aren't even uh, draftable for the most part. Uh, I can't think of a single quarterback that I said I would have got confidence plugging in. Vince Young was the closest, but that's more or less uh, because he relied much on his leg. So in the same way, I'm always going to have that question hanging over my head whether Fisher is able to um, recapture that magic he has in the past, I suppose, because I haven't watched any of those in the past where he had his great seasons. In the same way, that he kind of bring a more vanilla type of off, um, coaching philosophy to the whole team for the Rams, and that is what that is not conducive to Nick Foles' development into a um, quarterback that you can count on week in week out. Yeah, and I think you're right that the last time Jeff Fisher really had a strong passing offense would have been the Titans um, with Steve McNair um, back. 0405, where they were in the top five both years in attempts. They, um, in 04 and 03, were in the top 10 in terms of passing touchdowns. And that's been a decade ago. Um, you're, you're absolutely right that for the last several years, uh, he has struggled to run the ball, but that seems to be more what he wants to get out of his team, is a strong running team. That's his history, is lots of rushing attempts, grind out the ball. Um, and although that's the case, what's interesting is that last year the Rams um, actually passed a lot more than they rushed. They had 515 pass attempts to less than 400 rushes. Um, partially, some of that is that more than 500 plays they called were when they were behind in games. Um, so I think that there will be, even though they have a good defense, uh, there could be a lot of junk time. There could be a lot of pass attempts. Um, but you're right to say that Jeff Fisher seems to be, if his history is an indication, more of a coach that would rather grind the ball out, that would like to run the ball a lot and rely on his defense. So I definitely hear where you're coming from. Right. Well, Chris, let me ask you this. When it comes down to the bottom line, where would you recommend our listeners end up drafting Josh McCown? Uh, I still have a... (laughs) He's he's a free free agent um, watch list in the two quarterback league. Maybe um, I wouldn't recommend using any of your draft picks on either of these quarterbacks, but particularly for Josh McCown, if you're desperate, um, perhaps uh, a very deep league. You would I would think maybe a. Um, either a 16-team format or a 30-man roster kind of format. And tail end, uh, when you don't see any more talents you want, that's when perhaps it's not a bad idea to just grab an emergency quarterback like Josh McCown. Okay. Would you consider him a very low-end QB3 or maybe even more in the QB4 range? What's your sense? Um, he is closer to the QB4 for me, okay. I mean, I spoke highly of him about you know him being a safe fur, so that speaks more to perhaps a floor uh, floor numbers with him. He doesn't have that um, boom bust uh, potential that you would like if you are looking for a uh, a YOLO type of quarterback. That's a good point. <laughs> That's a very good point. All right, late to you. Talk to me about Nick Foles. Where would you draft him? Where would you recommend? 
right there with Josh McCown, similar to what Chris said for McCown. Um, I'm not optimistic about Foles this season. I think he's going to end up somewhere in the low 20s for me, approaching QB 30 when I put out redraft rankings. Um, I I think for a lot of the reasons Chris pointed out, there's reason to not love him in St. Louis. Um, I do think there's some reason for optimism. I think he probably has the more of the the boom potential than Josh McCown, kind of to Chris's point. Um, so it depends on what you're looking for. I also would expect that Nick Foles has fantastic job security. Um, I don't see... Well, I think fantastic is overstating it, but I do think he's likely to go through the whole season barring injury. And so if you're looking for someone that you feel pretty confident will be there on a bye week or if a starter is injured, he might be an option for you. Um, But I wouldn't be drafting him expecting you're going to get starters numbers. I think there'll be only two or three weeks where you're going to have any consideration of starting him in a QB2 slot. So right around where Chris was talking about from account would be what I'd say. Okay. Very good. Yeah, let me, yeah go ahead. Yeah. Sorry about that. I, I would um, affirm Josh's point. Nick Foles is kind of feels like what's around him, the team around him. They're all young. They all have potential, but they just need to put it together. So, yeah, I completely agree there with you, Josh. Mm. Well, let me ask you this, Chris, for you. If you had to draft, and those were the two quarterbacks that were left, you needed a quarterback, which one would you go for? Would you go for Foles or McCown in a vacuum? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so now that <laughs> rap battle is over. be crying as you did it. <laughs> the rap battle's over, and you're putting me in a situation where I've tried to grab several quarterbacks, and they've all suffered season-ending injuries, and it's been <laughs> Foles or McCown. For all the reasons that Josh stated, I would take Foles um, because there's more unknown. Josh McCown is a journeyman, and what the best I can hope for is perhaps a Fitzpatrick 2.0, and that is not a good thing to hope for. Very good. Lake, to you? Same question. Yeah, um, uh, not by much in terms of the rankings, but Nick Foles without much hesitation. Um, I completely agree with Chris's points about Josh McCown, that we kind of know what to expect. He doesn't have a lot of the boom-bust potential. I I don't see very much upside there, whereas at least with Nick Foles, because of the unknown that Chris is talking about, there's some chance you you earn some value picking him. So I would take Foles over McCown. What about you, Berger? Yeah, it's going to be a three for three. I'm going to go with Foles. Uh, Both of them are very, very low end for me, but I do have Foles... uh, three or four spots higher. I think there is a little more potential, like Chris said, for this young team to uh, to start to gel, and uh, I, have, I have no faith in McCown. Plus, I do question his job security just a hair more. So for me, it, it's fairly clearly Foles. But, all right, so the way we're going to do this format is that means that we will talk about Foles again next week where we will actually bring up another quarterback to debate whether or not we would take uh, them over Foles. So nice. It will be a lot of fun to see who we uh, end up talking about then. Hopefully we'll get out of some of the uh, the dregs of the NFL starters pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, the the goal being to kind of slowly work our way up the rankings as quarterbacks win. They move up uh, to a higher level, and we'll see kind of how the rankings go this way rather than just dumping all of our rankings on everyone at once. 
Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And it's fun to talk about some quarterbacks that, well, let's be honest, there's almost no one else talking about them right now. So it, it's a good time. Well, any closing comments, Chris, Josh, anything else you all would like to mention as we kind of start to wrap things up a little bit? Um, for me, I guess you make a good point that um, we shouldn't overlook anyone. Um, and that is the fun if for people who plays in these deep leagues where they don't really get much information about um, the bottom of the barrel type of talent, talent being in a much um, in quotation marks. So it's it's a good, it's a good it's a very good um, format. It's a very good idea, and I look forward to listening how this um, how this uh, segment will continue on. Well said. No, and I I appreciated you coming on. Uh, we enjoyed having you on the show last year, and so definitely wanted to reach out and see if you'd come back. We'll see if we can get you back later this season as kind of things are rolling in, in the regular season. But I would agree with what Chris said, that uh, in a two-quarterback league, in a super flex league, one of the best things you can be doing at this point in the season is spending time digging into the low-ranked quarterbacks because that's the sort of thing you're not going to find on the major fantasy sites, and it really could be important to your success this year. Maybe not quite as low as we're starting our our quarterback rap battles. Um, <laughs> those guys, the Foles and McCown, may not be too relevant in your league, depending on the depth, but uh, the, the higher-tier bad quarterbacks, the, the QB3s, are definitely worth digging into at this point in the season and seeing what you can make of them. Yeah, they can definitely make or break your team without question. Well, everyone, thank you all for listening in. Again, Chris Chung, you can follow on Twitter. Please follow him. He's great. Got a lot of information out there and some good articles as well that you can read. He is something about football. And I am Josh Berger and Josh Lake. You can follow us on Twitter at Burger2QBs and at Lake2QBs. So thank you all for listening in.